Welcome to There is a Method to the Madness. My name is Rob Maxwell. I'm an exercise physiologist and personal trainer. I'm the owner of Maxwell's Fitness Programs and I've been in business since 1994. I have this little sign I had made up over the treadmill at my gym and it's just pretty cool to look at that. You know, the evolution of my training programs. I started out going to people's houses, training at gyms, and then decided I needed a place to train my clients and create my own little studio to eliminate distractions and all that good kind of stuff. So I don't know. I thought I'd share that. I think it's pretty cool. Today's topic, I'm going to go into the mechanics of muscle movement and what happens during a repetition. I'm writing my new book on strength training, and as I get into the science, I'm just, uh, it's just so cool to me. Like, that's uh, one of my big passions. So, before I get into that, I want to thank our very first and loyal sponsors, Jonathan and Lynn Gilden at the Gilden Group at Realty Pros. They currently have over 270 five star reviews on Zillow. That's pretty darn good. They're grinders, they're for real. They're in this industry. They're not just kind of like jumped on when this uh, real estate market was hot, which uh, unfortunately I ran into problems with that and uh, should have known better, did not know them yet. And, um, you know, you need somebody qualified in all walks of life. The people that you hire should absolutely be dedicated to the cause, no matter what that is. I mean, sometimes it's formal education. Sometimes it's certification, licensing. Sometimes it's a ton of experience. I don't pass judgment on how you get it. I just think you need to be a professional at what you do. And I only personally want to hire professionals. And uh, that's what our team Gildan is. I'll put their information in the show notes. Okay, so there's a lot more to working out than just working out. There actually is a method to the madness. There's all kinds of different stuff we should know. Having said that, I don't want to discourage people from going to the gym because they think they don't know enough. As long as you are not getting hurt, which it is hard to do on purpose. You know, I think people have to, or not on purpose. I think people really have to go out of the way to get hurt at a gym. So I don't want to scare you in that way either. But as long as you're not getting hurt, you're making progress. There's just better ways to do things. If you had to choose between not doing it perfectly and, uh, you know, not going at all, so to say, just don't do it perfectly. Just go and do it. But my podcast hopefully will help you and other resources out there, of course, can help you train more effectively and efficiently. All right. So those are the types of topics I like to go on when in, on strength training and then other topics on the podcast. So today I want to talk about what actually happens during a repetition on a strength set. All right. So we have what are called prime movers, and another name for them is agonist, A-G-O-N-I-S-T, agonist and or prime movers. So that's the muscle group you're thinking about when you're working a muscle group. So for example, if you say, I'm going to work chest today, or I'm going to work biceps today, 
Oh, by the way, which gender did I just pick right there? Uh, yep, that would be the guys, pecs and biceps, right? Or, you know, who? what gender is this? I'm going to work on glutes and core. Oh, geez, that's a guy too, right? No, no, that's going to be the ladies, all right? So, you know, naturally we should be doing all of that, but I'm just using those as examples because we hear that a lot. I want to work my core. I want to work my biceps. I want to work my pec. I want to work my booty, you know, whatever. So when we go into it saying we want to work a certain muscle group, that's what we mean, the prime mover or the agonist. Now, one exercise might have several prime movers if it's what we call a compound exercise. A compound exercise works more than one joint, works more than one set of bones, and works more than one muscle group. So in that case, you might have two to three. And in the case of a bent over row, four agonists or prime movers. Now, if it's an isolation exercise or a single joint exercise, there's only going to be one agonist, okay? So we go into a set knowing most of the time what muscle group we're working, and that's the agonist. I will use a few examples. If we do barbell curls, the agonist is the biceps, most specifically the bicep brachii and the brachialis. There's actually two anterior forearm flexors, okay? If we do a leg extension machine, the agonist is the quads. Now, why do you think they're called the quads? Hmm, that's because there's actually four muscles that make up the quad, and they are the rectus femoris, vastus medialis, vastus lateralis, and vastus intermedialis. They make up the quads. So if we do a leg extension machine, that's the agonist. Now let's pick an exercise that has more than one agonist, the classic bench press, one of the big boys of upper body strength building. The agonist there is going to be the pectoralis major, the anterior deltoids, and the triceps. So now you have three agonists or three prime movers. You might say, well, which one gets most of the work? It's mostly the pecs, but I can tell you how you can influence that a little bit. The wider you go with your grip, the more pec major you're going to work. And the narrower you go, the more triceps you're going to work. And the anterior deltoids pretty much gets the same amount of stimulation no matter how you slice it. But there's three agonists there. So that's important to know. You, you hear people sometimes say, I haven't worked my shoulders. And I would say, well, you haven't maybe worked your shoulders specifically but they've been very involved in your chest training if you did a bench press or an incline press or a chest press. All right, so that's what an agonist is. Next, you have what's called an antagonist. The antagonist opposes the agonist. So they kind of work as a breaking mechanism. Now we have joints, and let me use the example of a hinge joint. A hinge joint would be a joint of your knee and elbow. Those are like locked position joints, right? So you can only extend your arms so far. You can only extend your knee so far. That makes them 
hinge joints, whereas a ball and socket joint like your shoulder and hip can go in all kinds of different motions such as circumduction and rotation where your hinge joints can only do flexion and extension. All right, so I bring that up because now in a hinge joint, you know, the antagonist doesn't have this huge role because the movement's actually going to be stopped by the joint capsule itself. But in a ball and socket joint, the antagonist might have a greater role of slowing down the movement. So the antagonist is like the breaking motion of the agonist. They're involved. They're not as heavenly as heavily involved. Heavenly. Heavenly is great. It's almost Christmas time. It must have been on my mind. But it's not as heavily involved as the agonist, but it is still involved. All right, so let me give you some examples. Going back to our friend, the bicep curl. So, as I said, the biceps brachii and the brachialis flex the elbow, bringing the forearm bones upward, and that's the agonist. The antagonist would be the triceps. So the triceps are the opposite of the biceps. They extend the elbow instead of flex the elbow. So that is the antagonist. The antagonist to the quadriceps, when I use the leg extension example, is the hamstrings. The hamstrings flex the knee. The quads extend the knee. So the hamstrings are the opposite. Now for the bench press, you're going to have three antagonists because you have three agonists. All right. So the antagonist to the pec major is actually the posterior deltoid. A lot of times people say, oh, it's, you know, it's the lats, it's the back. No, it's the posterior deltoid. The antagonist for the anterior deltoids is now the lats. So now the lats are an antagonist. The antagonist for, I already stated, the triceps is the biceps. So why does this matter? It matters because when we're setting up a workout routine, we just can't work the same muscles every day. I think we all know that. But we also can't work similar areas all the time consecutively because they need to rest. So when we set up a split routine, we have to be careful about how we're setting it up because just because you work certain muscles one day, it doesn't mean that those antagonists didn't get some work. And if they never get rest, we're never going to grow. So we need to understand that just because we're not working them directly, we are still working them. Okay? Now, just when you thought we're finished, we're only halfway done. Now we have synergist muscle groups. Synergist muscle groups are helping muscle groups. They're not taking the lead. They're not the prime mover. They're the helper, okay? And every exercise has some form of a helper and we can manipulate them to help more or we can manipulate them to help less depending on what we're trying to accomplish, okay? So going back to our bicep curl, the agonist is the bicep brachii and brachialis. The antagonist is the triceps. What's the synergist? Well, Last I checked, in order to curl a weight, you have to hold the weight. And in order to hold the weight, you have to have some grip strength. 
So the synergistic muscle group for the bicep curls is going to be the brachioradialis, which is the fancy name for the forearm muscles. The stronger they are, the stronger your biceps can become because they are a helping muscle group. A lot of times women struggle with pull-ups. Now, they struggle with pull-ups for two reasons. Number one, women don't have the musculature in the upper body that men do. That's just science. That's all there is to it. Now, some do, of course, but it's a hard exercise. It's a hard exercise for everybody. It's a hard exercise for me. And I have a, a female client that can knock out 12 pull-ups. I mean, that's incredible. And I have others that can knock out some, which is also incredible. And just doing one is incredible. So I'm not minimizing any of that. And of course, body weight is a factor as well. So not having the upper body musculature is one reason women and others may struggle with a pull-up. But the second reason is the synergistic muscle group of grip. Women tend to have smaller hands. So it's going to be harder to grab the bar. A lot of times when I'm working with people, they'll, they'll just drop down and say, it's my grip, it's my grip, it's my grip. Okay, so you can just imagine that if you had a stronger grip, you would be able to do more. And that's what a synergistic muscle group is. It simply helps out, all right? Really, the bigger, the stronger the grip in a lot of areas, which is why we as professionals use grip strength for testing. It is correlated to other strengths of the body. I'll give you an idea moving away from the gym into the sports world a little bit. If you have big hands the and you're, you're a baseball player, Major League Baseball scouts salivate because if you can wrap your fingers more around the ball, you have so much more grip and control over that baseball. If you look at a lot of the top pitchers in Major League Baseball, you're going to be amazed at their hand size. So it's just a big physiological factor, okay? So another synergistic example would be on the leg curl machine. If you plantar flex your toes on the leg curl, that means point your toes downward as you're doing the movement, you're going to get more gastrocnemius or calf involvement. They're going to help you do a leg curl. That's great if that's what you want. But if you're trying to isolate your hamstrings as much as possible, you're going to dorsiflex your toes, which means pull your toes towards your nose, kind of deactivate the gastrocs a little bit more, and now they're going to have less involvement. So the synergistic muscle group is going to be deactivated some. So we have some control over that. Now when we get tired, you're going to find the synergistic muscle groups helping so much more, and that just is common sense, right? Finally, we have stabilizers. Stabilizers help stable the body in space while we do a certain exercise. The most famous stabilizers is your core. So let me give you an example. Let's say you want to do your bicep curls, but you decide you're going to do a one-arm dumbbell curl. So you pick up your typical weight that you use and you start curling the weight. All of a sudden you notice that you're kind of like having to balance yourself to keep your belly button pointed forward. That is, if you're being a good boy and girl and paying attention to what you're doing, you're going to notice that it's taking more work to keep your spine upright in the neutral position. That's because the core is now having to work.
when you counterbalance that weight with one dumbbell on one side, one dumbbell on the other, the core does not have to work nearly as hard because balance itself is keeping your spine intact. So that's an example of a stabilizer. Your core is a stabilizer. Your core keeps you in position. So when you do a plank exercise, for example, it's your, that's a pure, what we call iso-abdominal exercise. Now all of a sudden, lift one leg up like I'll have clients do. Now you don't feel as stable and your core has to dig in even more to hold you because you now are balancing on three position points instead of four. All right, so our main stabilizer is the core. When we squat, I often say you have to have a strong core. Why? Because it's your core that's stabilizing your spine at the right angle so you can go down into a squat and you're not just working your lower back like some people do with poor flexibility and a weaker core because it's their spine that's flopping up and down and they're not really doing a squat. They're doing more of a what we call a good morning, a lower back exercise. So we have to have strong core stabilizers so we can squat. By the way, the best way to do that is to engage your core every time you exercise. I like to call that the no core core training. Like I'm not a huge fan of doing a lot of sit-ups and crunches and things like that because I know that the main role of the core is to actually get engaged. So instead, I like to challenge myself to do exercise and engaging the core. So for example, isolateral exercises like single arm, single leg exercises will really make me engage my core more. And that's what's going to strengthen the core. Like if you do squats properly, you don't need to do planks because a proper squat is a plank, but it's a functional plank. Another example of stabilizers, let's go back to the leg extension machine. So when you're on the leg extension machine, you might have some other stabilizers getting involved. Once again, if you are not engaging your core and you lift up on the leg lift portion of the leg extension and you're not holding on, you can feel how much harder it is when you take your hands off the little bars. But when you grab the bars, pulling yourself down, that in a sense is a little bit of a stabilizer. So now you're working your forearms a little bit to keep your body in perfect space how it's supposed to be. So to sum up, look how many muscle groups you work when you actually work out. It's not just your prime movers, it's everything. That's why I'm such a big believer in mind-to-body exercise. And I always say mind-to-muscle. If you really focus on what you're doing, you're going to feel all of these things. So really think about what you're doing and understand that you're working so many more muscles than you realize. A lot of times when you haven't worked out for a while and you go to work out, you're going to find it's those stabilizers that are really sore. You had no idea how much you even use them. There's so much atrophy from not working out and then you work out and you're going to find all these tiny little stabilizer muscles in your ankle and your calves everywhere are sore because they're really doing so much work. Look, you can't beat work. Work is work for a reason, but work is so good for you and working in the gym is so good for you. It's so 
important for me to share that message with you. I love the gym working out. You're going to feel better. It's going to make your day so much better if you go and do it. Try to do it first thing in the morning if you can. I know that's not always a possibility, but then you're not going to talk yourself out of it because we all know once we get there, we're glad we got there and we feel so much better when we leave. I've never heard anybody say otherwise. All right, let me thank our second sponsor, chiropractic physician, Dr. Doris Antos, who is an absolute believer in working out and exercise. And when I send clients places, I like to make sure that all of my professional people that I refer to are big believers in exercise. I have physicians who are clients and I know these particular physicians well and they prescribe exercise. They're great. And I know that Dr. Antos absolutely does too. She's not going to be one of those that says, hey, just don't work out for a while. She might say, don't do certain exercises for a while, which is a responsible thing to do. But never don't just work out. I mean, that's just ridiculous advice and I hate when I hear it. She's a gold standard chiropractic physician in Ormond Beach. And just like our other sponsors, I will put her contact information in the show notes. And until next time, little little uh, slogan I want to add to this. Exercise is actually strong medicine. So be max fit and be max well.